What's up, Alec? Hi, Thomas. <laughs> it's been a long time it's been since a really we've recorded, at least. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is season two. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, well, season two of what, Thomas? <laughs> this is in response to where we talk about stories and why you should care. <laughs> why you should care about them. We like to talk yeah. about what makes stories tick, what makes them work, what we like about them, what we don't like about them. And we're not picky here at in response to uh we'll look at movies we've looked at books we've looked at games talked about looking at maybe a couple comic books or maybe a tv show or two here or there uh but we're back finally um we wanted to be back a lot sooner uh you know (laughs) (laughs) a lot of stuff happened um Let's see. I had to, uh, you know, I had, I, I was born with a cleft lip and palate, and so um, for a, you know, I had a surgery related to that where my tongue was sewn to the roof of my mouth for a month and a half. I couldn't Protons. do, I couldn't do good, 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 good talking then. Um, so that happened. I had senior year of high school. I was busy during that, uh, and then Thomas lost his job for a bit. Mm-hmm. That was not mm-hmm. fun. That was fun. Um, not. Yeah, uh, and now we uh, we have everything put back together, and we have a new SoundCloud thing, and we can post again, and we're back. We we're back. I'm I moved <laughs> across the country to go to college, uh, and you know, of course, that took us a while to figure out how we were going to record that way, um, and then of course we got together over Christmas break and recorded a just a bomber episode about uh, Drive, the movie starring uh, Ryan Gosling by Nicholas Winding Refn, only to have the audio corrupt uh, yep. with no, and we, we're not going to re-record uh, episodes. It it doesn't, it's not good for you, the listener. It's not fun for us. It it's just like a bad product. So we're not, we didn't end up re-recording that, and we couldn't get back together to record. But, but. All of that aside, uh, we're back. We're going to try to be a little bit more consistent. We're going to try to get an episode up uh, every Monday at a time, sometime on Monday. (laughs) But we're (laughs) We're finally back, as consistent as we can be. Uh, We're going to give it a shot, this whole whole thing. Season two, good stuff. But first, first, I really want to know, Alec... What what did you learn today? I feel like today's been a whole lot of learning for you, and I just want to hear a little snippet about what Alec learned today. What Alec learned today? Um, <laughs> well, I learned that Thomas has good taste in movies because this is hey, a, this is a historic episode of In Response to because it's, it's the first time that Thomas has seen something that I haven't. Either both of us have gone in blind, uh, or it was my recommendation, and that was good. Um, and I also found out a really distressing fact about myself that I don't want to disclose. But if you want to go for it, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed about this. Oh, man. So for everyone out there, um, Alec is your hip hipster millennial. Uh, and he didn't know that PBR is the beer of hipsters. He, he is uh, talking about Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> and if you would love to go, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go Google who drinks PBR and you will see the top five results are how hipsters drink PBR like exclusively. So that was really fun. I loved teaching Alec about his own subculture and <laughs> why he's more hipster than he even thought. <laughs> I had a crisis about this. 
uh, <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a good boy. I've never had anything to drink because um, I'm not old enough. And <laughs> But if I were to drink, uh, being from Colorado, you know, I would hypothetically pride myself on the fact that I don't drink trash beer. Uh, you know, we have good stuff in Colorado. But if also I had ever had beer in my life, my one guilty pleasure would be perhaps Blue Ribbon. And if that was my guilty pleasure, I would take pride in the fact uh, that I'm like, well, you know, it does, I'm not that much of like a beer snob or a beer hipster because I drink PBR. Like, it's it's trash. It's not good. It's it's like the lowest of the low, you know? So, like, I'm not a total snob about it. And Thomas is like, you know, PBR is a hipster beer. And I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's just like, I mean, it's just like you drink like a Corona or something, you know, like a Corona Light, not to not Corona Light, another <laughs> drink that I've never had. And I'm like, that's bottom. It's fine. I don't, I'm not going to. It proves that I'm not a hipster. And he says, why don't you just Google who drinks PBR? And I Googled it. And the first article from the Huffington Post said how how PBR became the hipster beer of choice. And I just had a complete crisis because uh, that meant that I was fitting into my own stereotype that I didn't even know that I fit into. In fact, I actually took pride in having a bit that was outside of the hipster norm. And <laughs> I just, I had a little bit of a breakdown about it, and it's okay. You know, it's fine. Yep. Like I said, I've never had any uh, drop of the, the devil's juice <laughs> alcohol. No, no. no. Um, yeah, so that was great, everyone listening. Uh, just a great experience for me. But what you're really here for is for us to dive in. So... Today, we watched Lucky Number 7, and it was great. <laughs> it was great. Oh, my gosh. So we, we, we're starting watching this movie before we get into the podcast proper, and Thomas is like, dude, you're going to love this movie. You're going to love it. And I'm like, we'll see. You know, I, I'm, you know I, I don't tend to, you know, I don't like to have a ton of expectations going into a movie. Um, I just like to, you know, take it on its own merits. And for the first third of it, I'm like, yeah, this is good. It's a good movie. I like it. It's fun. It's, you know, it has good banter. I like the world that they're setting up with, you know, the, with the boss and the rabbi and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm like, this is fun. This is a good movie. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God. It's so, <laughs> it's a good. What a movie. It, what a movie. <laughs> it was, I was really, really quite, uh, quite impressed. So. Yeah, uh, we we had a really good time watching it, um, and we're very much looking forward to kind of diving into it, what we think works about it, what makes it, I I think, a really special movie. Um, And I actually am very glad that I went in blind because I didn't have any concept of of what I was going to be, you know, getting myself into. I really, I I, I knew literally nothing about the movie except that it had something to do with, like, a hitman. That's all I knew. Um, And so going into it and having as it was slowly, everything was slowly revealed to me, uh, you know, finding out that this, this is a much deeper and much more intentionally crafted and very meticulous movie than just your average mobster movie, uh, I think really, really benefited it. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to kind of dissecting it with you and kind of, kind of giving it a once over. Yeah, man. 
Um, yeah, so the first time I saw this was back in probably like high school. Um, and I saw it with my best friend, uh, Danny, who I'm going to share this episode with. And so I hope he likes it. Um, Hi, Danny. <laughs> but we, uh, we love this movie so much. We probably watched it three or four times over the course of high school. And, uh, yeah, um, just, there's so much about this, uh, that let's just dive in. So, um, what were some of the standout things for you, Alec? I, there was a lot to love here. Um, I found that, that as, as the movie went on, I, I was kind of enamored with different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at the start of the movie, I really liked the main character, and I liked that he was kind of this, like, fish out of water, uh, you know, a, a, a classic case of mistaken identity and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I really like that type of stuff. I, I, you know, I like that. I like that feeling of frustration where you know that everybody who's on screen is making a wrong decision or they have the wrong guy, but nobody there knows it. You know, um, that's why I like movies like The Big Lebowski and Fargo because they just they run on that uh, misunderstanding between characters, um, and I really like that. And 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 I thought that uh, you know the main character Slevin was very likable and he was funny, um, and I, and I thought it was this cool kind of offbeat you know like oh you're just a regular kind of wisecracking guy and you have to kill somebody otherwise the mob is going to kill you because they think that you owe them a hundred thousand dollars and i thought that was really cool (laughs) i took a big breath and um and so that was what i really liked at first and and at the beginning of the movie it's it's kind of like a quirky pulp fiction almost yeah, um, yeah. And, and it really, you know, it's a, it's fun and it was energetic and I really like that. Um, but then as it went on, it it slowly started shedding its skin of like quirky funny, uh, and it got more and more serious. And you're realizing that there's more going on here than mm-hmm. what you originally thought. People aren't who you thought they were, and and this this criminal underbelly is being revealed. Until yeah. the end, where there's there's a, a very you know dramatic twist at the end that I think we'll talk about later. Uh, and by that point, the movie's not funny at all. Uh, it's it's very um, yeah gripping. yeah they do yeah just totally drop the humor. It dro- it drops it, and it yeah. and it actually it turns to be it turns out to be a really well crafted, dark and brooding revenge story. Yeah, uh, that along the way. I thought had some of the best justified twists I've seen in any movie outside of like a Christopher Nolan flick. Really? Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, I always point to uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, uh, or his, his two movies, I guess, The Prestige and Memento, um, as the perfect twist movies, which are like movies that obviously rely on having a twist ending, and that's kind of why you watch them. Because particularly with The Prestige, Everything in the twist of that movie, and I, and I don't want to spoil it. We will probably do an episode on it. But every aspect that leads up to the huge reveal at the end of that movie is given to you throughout the movie. But yeah. you just don't have the context to see it. Yeah, so there's all the these tiny piece. elements. Yeah, it's, it's, you don't have the last piece to see the whole picture. And, uh, and, and I love that. I love not feeling tricked. You know, It's not like the filmmaker just kind of pulled a gotcha you know, you know the ending, and then you go back and you see that they were giving you hints all along the way. You just didn't know where to look. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, Slevin is like that too. 
Exactly. Slevin is exactly like that. And uh, they give you everything you need and all you need is that one bit of context and everything falls into place. Everything falls into place. <laughs> everything. So good. You know, like, cause, cause a, a lot of times, I mean, even with the prestige, there are elements that the filmmaker very much focuses on, but you're like, Oh, that, that was weird. His nose was bloody one day. And, and you're like, that has to be there for a reason. But I don't know why yet. Just, you know, like, and, and I make a mental note of it and I move on. But there were all these elements in Lucky Number Slevin that I didn't even know were being focused on by the filmmaker. Yeah. You know, the boss's ring, the shotgun used, the fact that, the, that uh, you know, uh, the, the police officer, um, you know, used to be a bookie or he used to have the same bookie, right? I didn't yeah. pick up on any of that. And then at the end, it all comes back together. And I was like, that was there the whole time. I didn't even, I just thought it was a ring and a shotgun. And actually it was telling me that, you know, the the two major crime bosses were integral to the opening Mm -hmm. act of the movie. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. It blew me away. Yeah. So let's um, let's jump back to the beginning. Uh, And so the opening, yeah, the opening scene starts with, what we find out is Nick, right? And we have this character Nick, and then there's Bruce Willis in a wheelchair. Um, how? What would? What did you think of that opening scene? Oh, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I didn't expect Bruce Willis, you know, to to. I actually forgot he was in this movie. Right. But he's just like this kind of weird old dude in a wheelchair. And I'm like, oh, you know, he's probably going to tell us the story. You know, he's going to be like, oh, the old prophet up on the hill, who, like tells the whole magical tale or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then he sets Nick up and then has him look one direction so he can get out of the wheelchair and break his neck. And I yeah. t- totally, I mean, I was as caught off guard as the dead guy was because I was not ready for that at all. And that, yeah. a- a- it, it, after that scene happened and then the movie went to kind of, quirky funny mode i was like oh that was that was really weird because that was kind of a dark way to start the movie and then it's just chipper um mm-hmm. but it, it actually was a really good way to set up the tone of this movie so um they called that the kansas city shuffle and the movie ends on the song kansas city shuffle what do you think about the chance that this whole movie is a kansas city shuffle I didn't even think of that. Yes, that's the best way to sum this up. The whole movie has you looking right. You're one of the people, because he's like, you know, a Kansas City shuffle is when everybody looks right, but you go left. And Mm -hmm. then the movie just, it it played me like I was an instrument. I was just, Mm -hmm. I was looking right the whole time without knowing that I was looking right. Which is and so many, so many little pieces about that, right? Like you're looking at the towel in the first like 30 minutes of the movie and you're looking at um, like, why is this poor guy, you know, slubbed into all this? And then there's this like, there's this girl that there's a weird relationship that's happening that I don't really understand why. And, and yeah, the whole movie is a Kansas City shuffle. And the, the coolest thing about it too, right, is, you know, with with movies like The Prestige or anything that like M. Night Shyamalan puts out or, you know, mm-hmm. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the whole time you're hunting for this mystery because you want to try to catch it before the film shows it to you. 
Like that's yep. the that's the reason for the film's being. And this movie actually was the same way, where the reason for this movie's existence is to tell this mystery or to to show you this web of connections. Yeah. But it but I didn't know that. So I wasn't ever looking for it <laughs> until yeah. the rug was just pulled out from under me at the end and everything kind of coalesced into this like grander image than what I thought I was seeing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the main points that I wanted to bring up is that I just thought that the movie, the director, the screenplay, everything lined up perfectly to pull a meta Kansas City shuffle on the audience. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about when I first watched it and now over and over again, there's just so many. Now you start like when you watch it again, you start collecting, oh, that's where that comes in. And that's the reveal of that. And they do a great job of going back and showing you all the different pieces. But you, when you see it happening, it's really great. So I definitely recommend seeing this one twice. Um, what did you think about uh, I? one of the other things I love about this movie is the, the witty banter. And I know we talked about how it fades away, but just to talk like zone in on that real quick. Uh, there's so many great, just like back and forths. There's uh, the, the writing is outstanding and you, you just, you're in it, right? You're yeah. It's, it's the, the way that they converse with each other and they go back and forth. Um, it doesn't sound like the way that real people talk. Which no. is great yeah. because the movie isn't like that. The movie is mm-hmm. not even remotely realistic. It, it is this, it's its own separate imagined world where, you know, two mobsters look across a street from each other because they had this great split a long time ago, you know. And, and that, it, it just, it creates this alternate criminal underground to New York that is, would never happen in real life. But right. it, 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 it almost seems kind of comic book y in the way that everything is very structured and things like that, yeah. you know, and, the, and they can yeah. look at each other. And, yeah. and, and then in, in that same way, this felt very sarcastic, comic booky, you know, I mean, it, it felt like dialogue that would feel right at home in like a Spider-Man comic or, you know, but, <laughs> but I mean like a lot darker, obviously, Yeah. yeah but yeah. it's got that, that kind of, you know, back and forth and, and just really every, every line is interesting or it's <laughs> funny or it's yeah. both. Oh, you know, it, it's, it's, oh, I loved like, it. Like, what does the man with two penises say to his tailor when he asks, which side does he hang? Yes. yes. <laughs> so good. Which is the most elaborate setup for a one word line that I've ever heard. But it's, it was, it was hilarious. And, and, you know, they, they, they did a jump cut, right? As he said, yes. Yep. Um, and I'm like, that's a, I'm like, I can start using that in my own like yeah. in, my, in my dialogues now not like just when i'm talking to somebody that's the <laughs> best because you know like that's a common thing where you're like oh do you want you know chocolate or vanilla ice cream yeah yeah <laughs> yes um and it's funny but i like that really long setup even <laughs> and it was there was so many lines like that bruce yeah. willis was like that you know slevin was like that the boss was like that. everybody had excellent yeah. lines all i mean even the more minor characters you know like uh like like bad dog the cop Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the cop's name was not Bad Dog. I'm sorry. No, but, but yeah. But yeah. The, the crooked cop, you know, was like, you need to get some new fucking coffee in here. I don't like the smell of it. And before he gets out of the van, I'm like, that's just funny. Like, that's, it's, it was incredibly witty um, during the first half, which right. I liked. Um, yeah. And I actually, most movies, I feel like if it switched from funny, witty, haha to like dark and brooding and impactful, 
mm-hmm. I wouldn't like it. I, I, you know, movies tend to have to be kind of tonally consistent. Uh, you know, I mean, if there's if there's a musical number in the middle of the newest <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, you're like, what? <laughs> Obviously, that's an extreme example, but movies a tend La La to Land be thrown in. <laughs> yeah, like La La Land thrown into like Saw doesn't yeah. work. But this yeah. movie, it really worked. It it did such a gradual shift that I didn't even notice it was happening until I started talking to you in the end. Right. You know. Right. So I actually yeah. really liked that. And not only was it really good writing for the witty side of things, but that monologue at the end by the rabbi is one of the best single monologues I've, you know, in like movies. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that like, I love that one piece where he's facing his death and he starts just spilling his guts. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was well, it shows just how versatile of a movie it is that mm-hmm. it does both styles well. Mm-hmm. It had bits where I was laughing very, very hard. And then, you know, towards the end when Slevin is finally enacting his revenge, uh, you know, in this brutal nature and this whole conspiracy web is being revealed, I just had kind of like a pit in my gut feeling because it was really dark and very impactful. And Ben Kingsley, you know, doing his final speech while sitting next to his old friend and, and enemy as well, uh, was just so it was so cool you know so and it, good. it was so yeah. good it was so good it, it's it's one of the best mob movies i've seen in a long yeah. time and it's also one of the best revenge stories as well it's a great revenge tale yeah yeah um so another thing that i loved um the so the i was trying to think of how to how to really say this but the romance in it didn't feel over the top and we kind of talked about this a little bit while it was going on um where we just have moments of oh that's so cute you know like yeah oh <laughs> james bond talk yeah, yeah neat um and they develop it really well and it didn't it, at first you're kind of like okay this is what like she's the piece that um kind of inspires the here's the mystery of the whole thing and she's going to solve it. And then she is just kind of the, the date, like you can kind of see that she just kind of fits in a little bit. And then after a while, you're kind of like, wow, she's, she's still there. Like, why is she still here? And then the big reveal at the end was great. I thought, so what did you think about that little mini relationship? I liked it. I thought it was, you know, it it didn't feel shoehorned, you know, it it felt natural. Um, You know, she was more than just the token romantic interest of the handsome, charming main character. She played a very integral role in this mystery. You know, she was initiating, you know, she, she, she cared about Nick, which is funny because, you know, you think that Slevin does for the whole movie until you found out that he helped kill Nick and didn't actually know him. But right. she's kind of what kicks this whole thing off uh, in a way, and I really liked it. I, you know, she she was, uh, you know, her her lines were good. She was interesting. Um, I I thought it felt it felt felt really natural, and uh, I thought she fit in really well into the whole. You know, a, a, every character in this movie is is kind of another piece of the puzzle. Um, yeah. And she wasn't a huge role, um, but the part that she played was integral, which I think is a good balance to to strike. And I would actually argue that her biggest asset to the whole story was to show more about Bruce Willis's character in the end than it was any of the relationship piece, because that's how you finally see 
why did Bruce Willis let this kid live? You know, what what happened there that that made him not get the kill? And then you see like, oh, it's the same as why Slevin would have protected this girl. It's the same thing. And so it's she that whole little relationship piece. And while it was really great and I enjoyed it and uh, lots of cute little moments there. It was all to reveal more about Bruce Willis without even having Bruce Willis on the screen. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I love I love the scene where you know Slevin helped Lindsay fake her own death. You know, so mm-hmm. that so that because Bruce Willis says, "Hey, like we have to kill her. She saw me," and Slevin doesn't want that to happen, but he doesn't just say it. He says, "Okay," and then helps her fake her death. Yeah, and, and it gives you a huge picture of what their relationship's been like for the last mm-hmm. 20 years, I guess, uh, however old Slevin is. But, like, he doesn't know him well enough to know what his response would be to him, like, saying no. Well, and, and he doesn't even include himself, either. He doesn't, he doesn't consider the fact that Bruce Willis spared him as a kid. Because right. Bruce Willis was the only person that they could find who would even think about executing a kid. Right. And then Slevin turns around and he doesn't do it. And he doesn't, that doesn't even cross his mind that maybe he would have some compassion because he's this like crazy, will do any job, badass guy. World-class assassin. World, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a world-class assassin. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I love, because I thought at the end of the, I swore to you at the end of the movie, that he was going to kill Lindsay because mm-hmm. to tell you the truth, I didn't think about that either. I didn't think about the fact that he might've had compassion and right. he stands there and, and Slevin is like, I didn't think you'd understand. And he goes, no, I understand. And then it shows him sparing Slevin. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, of course he does. Of yep. course. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. There was so many good elements to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I, I've been able to talk a lot about as somebody, you know, who just saw this movie for the first time and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But what gives this movie so much sticking power with you and what kind of like what aspects of it keep you coming back and seeing it again and again? Because I know a lot of times when it comes to movies like this, once you know the twist, you don't really have a desire to go back and see it again. So like what what is giving it this sticking power with you? I think it's just that the first time I saw it, I immediately thought, wow, I need to go back and watch that again to then go catch all the references as they're happening, you know, like to see it in um, full understanding of the the end point. So that immediate kind of I want to go back and look at this from a new lens um, drew me back initially. And now uh, I just see it as such a great film you know just a standalone there doesn't need to be any sequels like we're inundated with today you know it's just uh and i can't you know i can't watch it probably more than once in a year but um but it does it never lets me down whenever i go back to it just like today you know i went back and um there were there were some pieces that i forgot that happened and um even at the very end like i didn't remember exactly what happened with uh lucy lou's character and um i totally forgot that he's like standing in this in the train station at the very end and that whole reveal so um you know as time goes on you forget certain things and then you get to experience them anew again and then 
there was also the piece of just getting to watch it, you know, with a good friend um, and Aww. have him experience <laughs> the different elements that I love so much about it. So, yeah, that's a lot. Um, you know, that's a lot of reason why I do this podcast is because we get to experience the stories and um, to do that together and with our audience out there and um, hopefully get to share great stories that we think are great and um, get people more interested in stuff like this. So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a great example of how to do a movie with a purpose. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I see a lot of movies now, you know, recently that are, they're kind of, you know, they're just there, you know, I mean, right. like, you know, I mean, I, I'm even seeing that with some superhero movies, which don't like, get me wrong. I love, I love Marvel. I'm a huge Marvel fan, but some of the movies, they're just, I mean, they're there, I guess, you know, like they, they're just, well, oh, this is this year's superhero movie and you're going to go and you're going to see an action and, you know, Bruce Banner's going to win the day. That's <laughs> And that's cool, and I like those, and those are fun. But, you know, after I saw Ant-Man, you know, I don't think I ever thought about that movie any time after maybe like a week or two after I saw it. Because it just, right. it, I didn't feel like it had, it didn't have like a sole purpose to it, you know. Yeah. Um, where this movie is like we want to set up this world and and set up this intricate revenge story and reveal that to you over time. And then every shot, every line of dialogue, every action piece, ev- everything was moving you closer to understanding what was happening. There was not mm-hmm. a lot of wasted space in this movie. It was yeah. very intentional. And yeah. so I thought it's this great example of how to do a movie where everything is like furthering it to its to its core idea or its core purpose. Yeah, it's very deliberate. Every set piece, every um, it's all just deliberately done to expose different aspects and then to go into that massive reveal at the end. You know, it's 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 just a w- really well crafted um, piece of cinematography. It's great. I, I one think of the it, things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to change the subject. So. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. One one of the things that I, I remember when we were watching it, um, I don't even remember when you said this because I didn't know what I was looking for, but you just kind of go, God, this movie is so intentional. And I didn't know that I was looking for anything twist wise. I thought I was just watching a, just a cool mob movie. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and I, I didn't believe that, but I'm like, I, I don't have time to talk about this with you right now. And, and, but then as the movie went on, I realized I'm like, oh, he was so right. It is so intentional, but I didn't know it at the time. So I was yeah. like, which is, which is one of the really cool things about it is there are all these details that are extremely deliberate, um, but I just didn't know yeah. what I was looking for. And you did. So you, you were noticing something. I don't know what it was. That you were like, oh, that comes into play later. I had no yeah. idea, and I and I thought that was really really cool. And I think it'll it'll make it a whole different movie when I go back to rewatch it again. Yeah. Because I'll be seeing all of those very intentional details that I really just was completely blind to originally. So we we talked a little bit as you know the first scene kind of opens up, and then throughout the movie about the actual just cinematography of it you know the beautiful scenes the opening scene with the blue chairs and i thought color was a huge piece in this movie um and we i think we probably talk about that in almost every single one of the episodes that we've done (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. but 
in this movie in particular, it just had so many great sets. Uh, you know, it, it you have the the phone ringing in the beginning with the awful um, uh, wallpaper behind it, and then you find out later that that's the room where Bruce Willis first picks up the call, and then you you have all these like reds and um, and the blue chairs in the uh, train station and the uh, how they they change the the film itself you know the, the effects on the film to show you like yeah this is back in the 80s or the 70s or whenever it was and now we're in the present and you know during those all those flashbacks everything that they did had a different lens to it you know when you're in the room with the mobsters and slevin it's one filter and then when you're uh, going back into the you know quote unquote present day, um, like when Bruce Willis is killing Lucy Liu's character, it's another one. And then, like I said, back in the seventies, so it uses all these elements to really to quickly place you uh, in each setting without having to explain where you are. Uh, and I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, I, I did. I did notice that you know a lot of the different shots and stuff, have, like you said, they have different filters on them too. Um, and I, I, I was constantly um, kind of entranced by all the, 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 the wall in the walls, all the walls, <laughs> the wallpaper, all the walls, all the walls. Yeah. But yeah. like, the, like the wallpaper that they used in every room was really interesting. <laughs> and, you know, just they, they do all like the the two different, uh, you know, the, the two penthouses of these two mobsters are very different. Ben yeah. Kingsley is this, you know. I mean, he's he's Jewish, but he he has this almost like old world sophistication, uh, almost like British feel with like yeah. elaborate tea sets and things like that. Um, and his very much felt like this kind of regal, pristine mob boss. And then Morgan Freeman was more modern, and he had you know the the really cool crystal cut um, chess set. And yeah. the lights and the mirrors on the walls and things like that, and and, and just the spiral the, staircase and all that. The spiral staircase where he comes down yep. with mirrors around that and things. It's it, the, the set design was fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, even just down to the the cool different. You know, the the black and white pattern on the walls of the apartment and things like that. You know, yeah. I just it's just little things like that. They were just really cool, iconic places. Which I mean, not only did they look cool on their own, but like you said, it instantly told you where you were because mm-hmm. I mean, there were, you know, there were, I mean, four, I'd say four main locations. You know, I mean, you have like the apartment, um, the bosses, uh, the rabbis and, you know, I mean like a few, I guess that's really main. Th- those are the main three that we keep coming back to. And, a few and you other could places. say that like the seventies was the seventies. Um, yeah. The past, set. the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and by having such, iconic and very distinct set design it it instantly told you where you were so it didn't have to show slevin being taken back to the boss they just showed him walking through a hallway and you're like that's the boss's hallway i know where i am now and it did that really well and especially because this story required them to be jumping around a lot and moving between places and times and people they did an excellent job of being able to just instantly show us where we were without having to do any, like, you know, like, we knew where they were without having to zoom in through the window every time or something dumb like that. Right. It was, they were right. all distinct enough, which I, I quite like that. 
Yeah, and you even paused it at one point because of how cool a shot was where he's walking into the uh, rabbi's son's apartment and there's just the you're looking at the mirror and it's all segmented and so you can see the diff like he's walking through different angles of the different mirrors and you actually paused it and he's like you're like we gotta go look at that again yeah <laughs> so yeah. yeah that was really neat yeah well and and, and i mean there there's a, i i like that scene as well especially now knowing what i know at the end of the movie um because slevin is cut up into four different pieces and to me it's almost as if you're seeing you know it, it's showing that he's it's not that transition piece. He, yeah it's that transition piece he's not who he says he is he's four different you know he's different parts uh you know yeah. it, it kind of it's not one big picture he has a lot more to him than we see and that's kind of shown by him being kind of you know uh i guess refracted by the glass and has different yep. you know parts coming out of different places and i, I thought that was really cool that's cinematic way insight. to show that there was more than meets the eye yeah that's a really neat insight um i never thought about that yeah, man, I really, you know, I was happy to introduce this to you. And I think um, I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it because the moment we started watching it, I was like, yeah, you're going to, Alec is going to really love this one. <laughs> I did. I loved this one. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, let's just kind of debrief a little bit. Um, cool. I, I, I was thinking, like, what was your personal favorite element of the movie? You know, it could be a character, it could be a scene, it could be whatever. Yeah, Josh Hartnett's hair um, is the number one piece that I loved. Uh, I don't think you could beat that. No, that, that, that's kind of a joke. But actually, when I was a kid, I did. You know, I was like, oh, he has the perfect hair. And that's weird to say now. But When we knew um, that we were going to watch this movie uh, when I was back in Colorado over Christmas, you mentioned this to a bunch of people. You're like, oh, yep. I'm excited. We're going to watch Lucky Number 11. Got to look up Josh Hartnett's hair. And, and And we pulled it up, and I was like, that's some good hair. And Thomas Dude, is like, nice oh, hair. my God, the hair. And the three other people we were with are like, I mean, it's just. They just didn't get it. They just didn't get yeah. it. They don't understand. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, I think, yeah, I think my favorite part. Oh, my. Okay. So I think my favorite part in general is the, the Kansas City shuffle notion uh, that they took a piece at the very, very beginning and told you exactly what this story was going to be without you knowing that they were telling you that. Um, that's <clears throat> that's my all-around favorite piece. My favorite part about watching it this time was that I didn't remember that the cop uh, was part of it. And the moment that he pops up in the back seat was when I, like, all of a sudden the memory of him, you know, shooting his mom with a shotgun uh that just like flooded back into my mind i was like holy crap i totally forgot that that happened and yeah so i i had kind of my own uh reveal again and it was really neat so that was my favorite piece what was yours yeah i have to agree with you with the uh with the kansas city shuffle you know i i just i think that concept just so perfectly encapsulates what this movie's all about um and i think it's even better that they give it to you in the first couple minutes of the movie, you know, and, and you don't even know, you know, in, in my mind, I, I thought it was just a criminal, you know, outlining his, you know, his plan to the guy, to his mark before he killed him. I didn't think anything of it. Um, but to, to have that thing just completely encapsulate everything that the movie is about, I, you know, I think that's just the best way to kind of sum this whole movie up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then what about, do you, um, do you have any problems with the movie? Any weaknesses, anything like that? You know, so we're, we're doing something different in season two, and that's these kind of ending questions where we try to discuss um, general topics at the end and kind of give, you, give the audience a um, general synopsis and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I was already thinking about this question a little bit, and what didn't I like? Um, you know, I, I, I think I wanted, it's hard to say, I think I wanted more of the banter. Um, and, and I think that's more of a testament to the movie than it is a flaw, you know, like I, it's one of those, like when I watched, um, Fantastical Beasts, I didn't necessarily love the movie. I just didn't want the, I didn't want to exit the world, um, was how I felt about that. And, that was kind of how I felt about the the witty banter. Really, the writing in general was that I just didn't want it to end. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a critique or if that that's probably more of a praise. But yeah, I think it's I think it's a backhanded compliment. And and I, I get yeah. that as well because I I think the writing was so good. I think it is a little bit of a shame that it it did kind of fall to the wayside as they got to telling the story more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I think I think it's valid to to say that you wish that there was more of that, um, just because it was so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I can't think of a lot bad to say about this movie. Um, I think my only minor thing is I just wish we got a little bit more time with Lucy Liu's character. Yeah, um, I I mm-hmm. felt like as much I felt like she served a purpose in the plot, and I liked that. But I felt like I didn't get to know her enough, or she didn't get enough screen time to necessarily justify that. I just felt like there was a bit of a disparity between the like the the you know the element that she played in the story, and then how much we actually saw her and got to know her. Um, yeah. she just felt a little bit two dimensional to me. Um, so I, I wish we could have just spent a little bit more time with her and got to see her fleshed out a little bit more because all the other characters have interesting facets and different parts of them. And she's just kind of the, uh, you know, inquisitive girl. Yeah. And so I just, I, I, that, that was really the only thing is I wish we could have got some more time with her. And the thing, I guess, so now thinking about it with, especially with her is that it, it's, it's as if her whole purpose in the beginning of the film when you first meet her is to allow the director and the screenwriter to lie to you <laughs> it, yeah it, it builds up the position that okay now slevin is gonna lie and they're gonna even give you footage of him lying you know like they they set up that whole girlfriend scenario and him walking through the train station talking to nick and him getting punched by the the mugger um and that funny little story mm-hmm. and it just that it just sets the ability for the storyteller to lie to the audience which i'm not saying is necessarily a bad thing but it just kind of hurts <laughs> yeah yeah cuz cuz i i think for me at least i think either lie to us on its own or give us a character but make her a character Mm-hmm. And I felt like she was just in that nebulous space between a plot device and an actual character. And yeah. I just, and, and, and when, when you're in that uncanny Valley, I would always err on the side of a character. You know, there are very few times where I wish that a character in a movie was just relegated to a plot device, you know, had yeah. less screen time. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think she was just kind of in that little middle ground between, you know, 
really a one-dimensional character who's very, very, very minor, or you know, a fleshed-out character. And I just wish that we could have got a little bit more, more background yeah. for her. You know, m- more than just one or two character traits. Yeah, and kind of the opposite of that is um, the the cop, the dirty cop uh, character, and that he really was he was an integral part and somebody I'm sure that was very important to Slevin to kill because, you know, he was the guy that killed his mom. And again, we just didn't get a whole lot of time to understand like his journey since, um, getting away from gambling, presumably or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, maybe there was a couple missed, um, opportunities for, for character development. Uh, but, all that to say, I didn't. I also didn't want maybe like a three-hour movie. So <laughs> right, right. No, I, I, I think it could have been done better, um, but I think the fact that it wasn't done doesn't really detract any from the movie. It doesn't. It didn't yeah. detract from my enjoyment at all. I didn't think it, you know, held the plot back or anything like that. I just, it's not that it was necessarily a flaw, but it would have just been extra icing on top of this just amazing cinematic cake. Yeah. Yeah, I liked Indeed. it. I, I had a great, I had a really good time with it. Um, it, it as it went on, it just kind of revealed itself to be a, a much deeper, um, in 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 a much deeper and more interesting and, and intriguing um, and, and captivating movie. Uh, and I found that I got, I just kind of got sucked deeper and deeper into this story the more that I saw of it, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I was really excited to introduce that one to you. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I'm super happy you did. It was uh, it was fantastic. So thanks everyone for joining us. Um, we are in response to, and you know, we like to tell good stories and we like to talk about good stories. So um, this is the beginning of our season two. Uh, we're really planning to be a lot more regular this season and uh, keep this thing going for a long time, presumably. And um yeah, so super excited to get into it. Yeah, so next week uh, we are going to be not talking about a movie this time, but we're actually going to be talking about a short story. Um, this is a, a short story that I read a while ago. Um, it won a Hugo uh, or a Nebula, I don't remember which one, uh, for Best Short Story of the Year. And it is called, it's a long one, uh, I'm going to put a link to it in the description for the podcast because it's a mouthful of a name. Uh, but we are going to be talking about uh, the short story, Sinner, Baker, Fabulist, Priest, Red Mask, Black Mask, Gentleman, Beast uh, by Yuji Foster. Um, and Thomas, you haven't read this before, have you? I did when we talked about it a long time ago. And uh, so I'll reread it for this. But I think our audience is really going to love it. So yep, I think I'm you guys are going to like it. Uh, like I said, there's, there's an online link to it. It can be read online. Um, it's about 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but I yeah, think we're short a, read. it's a short read, so you know you can do it in one sitting. Um, but uh, yeah, we're uh, we're gonna have a good time talking about that. Looking forward to it. So if you're interested in reading that before the episode uh, next week, which I highly recommend you do, uh, like I said, I'm gonna put a link to that in the uh, show notes uh, for this episode, so you can hit see more or see info or see notes, uh, and it'll have a link right there that'll take you to where you can go read it. Good times. Sweet. Um, probably the best way for you guys to contact us and to continue the conversation is on Twitter. Um, our handle is that in response to, or sorry, it's at, at, uh, IR2 podcast. Um, 
And my Twitter handle, if you want to reach out to me directly, is at Thomas K. Brown on Twitter. Yep. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, our Twitter, that's a thing. Uh, like that, that is the easiest way to get to us. Uh, but if you have something to say that doesn't fit in 140 characters, uh, you know, did you like something? Do you want to send us a recommendation? Uh, do you want to yell at us because we were profoundly wrong about your favorite uh, piece of fiction and you can't just fit that into a tweet? Uh, we yep. also have an email address. You can email us at uh, ir2.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we will respond pretty promptly with that one to you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, th- this show is is – I love doing this show. Um, but uh, if you want to see it continue to be a thing, by all means, please like, interact with us. Uh, you know, share it with your friends. That's obviously appreciated. Um, send us recommendations. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, ideas for the show, things like that. Um, I can't stress enough how much an iTunes rating does for us. I know that it's really easy to kind of get desensitized to everybody saying, you know, go rate us and and like and give us a thumbs up and a retweet and a like and things like that. But um, really, if you put a four or a five star rating on iTunes, um, that is the most helpful thing uh, I think that you can do to kind of help us grow the show. Um, I'm Alex Stutson. Uh, I am also on Twitter. I'm a bit more active than Thomas is. Um, True. Yeah, I'm uh, like I said, I'm Alex Stutson, um, and I'm on Twitter at Padawan Novelist uh, at P A D A W A N O V E L I S T at Padawan Novelist on Twitter. Um, so yeah, let us know what you guys think of the show, any suggestions and things like that. Uh, and until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars.